Hey guys, welcome to the 5-1 Volleyball Podcast, the best way to follow the world of professional volleyball, the professional leagues, the players, the storylines, the stats. We got everything for you here coming up in the 5-1 Volleyball Podcast. Today, I am going to rank the professional leagues from best to worst. And as usual, go over some of the big storylines and games that happened this week. A couple juicy ones for you here, including... Vibo Valencia eating Lube Chivitsanova. Definitely going to talk about that one. So, hope you guys enjoy the podcast. So, let's talk a little bit of the headlines around the world of volleyball before we get into it and and, and let me know guys do you want me to start with news do you want me to start with league recaps do you want me to start with special features for the episode yeah i want to hear i know i want to hear what you guys are most interested while you're listening to this podcast so yeah reach out to me on instagram or or youtube or whatever other method because i want to hear uh what i should start with on these podcasts anyway let's start with news today and there's a pretty juicy piece of news here Iran has been without head coach for a little while now. Lots and lots of names been floated out throughout the world of volleyball media, but it looks like they've officially confirmed a coach. Vladimir Elenko, the mom boss of Russian volleyball, longtime Russian national team coach, thought he was going to have a retirement last year, handed off the reins of Zenikazan to Alexei Verbov. That didn't work out too well. Thomas Semelvo is coaching the Russian national team. So Vladimir Lenko trying to take a step back, but as we all know, there's a lot of fake retirements, false starts, retirements in volleyball, in any sport really. And Vladimir Lenko back on the bench for Iran this time, which is interesting. I mean, uh, for some reason, Iran loves to hire like big name international coaches. And this is obviously another one, but I'm not, I'm not really seeing it. I mean, sure, you can make a big splashy hire like this. And Iran, I think, does a general really good job um, in volleyball, developing players, uh, especially given the circumstances in their country, I think they do a great job. But I don't know. I still don't think the talent, even with a great coach like Alenko, I, I don't think it's really going to make move the needle that much. I don't think they're suddenly a big threat at the Olympics or a big threat at Nations League to win it. I mean, I like the hire, and I'm pretty interested to see if Alenko, what Alenko does with this young generation of Iranian players that have done so well in the youth competitions on the world stage. But is he really willing to grow with this group and coach in Iran? Keep in mind, he's also coaching in Zenikazan, and there's not a single Iranian player anywhere near Russia right now. So is he really willing to grow with this group? Because Iran's not winning 2021 in Tokyo. Let's be honest. They're not going to win that tournament. Maybe 2024, but I think the best chance right now for Iran is probably 2028 because Maruf and uh, Musavi, too old for 2024, 2028, their new generation of players, Amir Tukte, Amir Esfandiar, Lobero Hazaritpour, Porya Yali, Moretza Sharifi, the setter who's playing on Mosaic right now, can't even say his name. They're going to be entering their prime around 2028, and um, Ibadapur will still be, you know, right around the age where he can still play top-level volleyball, so... I, th- I think that's that's the goal to aim for. And is Alenko going to be able to stay with his team for that long? I don't think so. Other news, Italy's still dealing with a lot of COVID infections, as are we all really right now. 
but probably the most notable one this week was Simone Gianelli, legendary young Italian setter, down with the COVID. So unfortunately, that really screws up Trentino's plan. I, I guess the big thing with this is, will he be healthy for the start of Champions League in December? Trentino playing in a tournament for Champions League. So he could easily miss all three games if he's not ready by that tournament. And what we've seen from some other teams is that, and I mean, a lot of people in general is that it's it takes a little while to come back to get back to full capacity athletically coming back from COVID especially if you get it really badly in the lungs so even if Gianelli is able to test negative and play in Champions League and play in the League of Volley games and play in those games it could still be a while before he's performing back at 100% of course we don't know how severe he has it and I think volleyball probably is a little easier than other sports to get back to full speed especially from a cardio perspective which seems to be what COVID affects the most so not the worst situation but I mean like think about how many Champions League teams were already completely wiped, wiped out with COVID Perugia, Skrav Belchatov, Zaksikic and Kozil just off the top of my head so major major Champions League teams that pretty much all got COVID so I mean on the bright side they're immune already so hopefully they're still able to play the rest of their domestic league seasons in Champions League but yeah also hoping that they're still healthy and able to play at 100% of their volleyball capacity. So pretty much all the professional leagues right now are dealing with some sort of COVID-related operational issues, but we still had some fun games this week and some big upsets. I mean, the biggest one, I think, I think the one that everyone was talking about was Vibo Valencia beating Cucini Lubicivitanova. And... Lube and Perugia pretty much never lose unless it's to another one of the top teams. So having Viva Valencia, you know, a team that's definitely, I always thought, got pretty good players but never really played up to their capacity, you know, looking really good so far. And I, I mean, beating Lube pretty handily here, three to one, scoring nine aces, seven blocks, and generally just looking really good. And I mean, definitely the star of the show right now is Thibaut Rosard. I've already talked about him a little bit before, but he's a looking really nice, serving bombs, four aces in this one, hitting 15 for 29, 52% from the field. And I mean, it's not like he's been playing badly the last few years. I've always been a fan of Thibaut Rossard. He's maybe fallen a little bit out of favor on the French national team because he's not as much what they need. They already have enough attacking and serving. But man, when he's in the right situation like he is right now, he is looking a real nice. I mean, if he plays like this, he's for sure, and I'm saying this as a gigantic Trevor Cleveno fan, Thibaut Rossard should for sure be the second starter along Irvin Engapet in Tokyo 2021. Playing like this, serving bombs, looking really athletic, uh, getting his hands up well on blocks. But he's not the only French player playing really well for Valencia. And again, another player I've, I've like talked a lot about this year, I feel, and that's uh, Bartholomew Chininez who in this game scored 10 for 15. And I mean, he's just unstoppable, man. Him and Seda have an unreal connection this year. And Chininez, I feel like he's always had the athleticism. He's always uh, had a really high contact point on his attacks and blocks. But I feel like his technical ability is really starting to develop now. His ability to find kind of the last two to three feet of the court, even on not perfect middle sets, kind of on forced middle sets, 
is really impressive. He gets his hands up, reaches over, hits around the block, and man, that's such a hard hit to dig coming from the middle. And Seda trusts him so much. He knows he's always there. He knows he's always running for the ball. So I <laughs> definitely one of the most random uh, connections going through this year. But Seda to Chininez has been an absolute joy to watch. And I mean, Seda himself is having kind of this renaissance season in Valencia. He's playing like one of the best setters, if not like a top three setter in Italy right now. And I don't know if I myself or really anyone else saw this coming from David Seda. I mean, he's 33, spent a lot of time overseas in France. Even as an Italian, maybe wasn't always picked up by Italian league rosters. So the fact that he's kind of coming into his own this late in his career is is great to see. And I mean, I feel like you see that from a lot of setters where they just keep keep working at it, working at it, working at it. And eventually just the experience, the decision making, the technical ability, the technical ceiling of the setter position is so high that you really can keep working at it and keep improving well into your 30s. And I think that's a little bit of what we're seeing in Seda. And I mean, come on, did you guys see the goggles <laughs> he was rocking the last few games? If you haven't, then I highly recommend you check that out because, I mean, those sports goggles are legendary. And just the, the confidence it takes to pull off sport goggles is unreal. And, you know, Seda is really, really confident right now. And that wasn't the only big upset in the world of professional volleyball this week. Zeneca's on, taking an L, taking their first L in the Russian League. Talk about that one in a bit. Let's, let's do a couple more Italian League games first. Modena versus Padova. Padov again looked all right for a little bit, especially in the third set there, keeping it close, 30 to 28 for Modena. And, and I have to say, I mean, Padov is not great, but they are probably the best worst team in the Italian Super League we've had in a few years, if that makes sense. Like, Padov might not be winning a lot of games, and, and I think they are for sure the worst team in the league. But if you compare them to maybe Sora or Castellana Grote of the last couple of years, I, I definitely trust. Padova a lot more than those teams to keep the game competitive I have to say though watching I mean I mean I know why they brought in Tonchek Stern they need someone on this team to take a lot of the set load and they needed someone who wasn't too too expensive and Tonchek Stern fits that role pretty well I guess but man watching him just throw and I, I said this I feel like I say this every podcast but just watching him hit into the block again and again and again and again and again and again I mean, it's it's uh, it's frustrating. I'm sure if you're a fan of Padova, if you guys are out there, I mean, just just his reluctance to have any kind of finesse game, reluctance to, you know, try and go a bit more outside his comfort area, and not just go for tools every single time or go for uh, a huge bounce every single time. Pretty good player, skilled player, athletic player, but decision making pretty terrible. The Modena blocking was looking good in this one. The Modena passing was looking good. They were creating a lot of opportunities, weren't giving a lot up. And I think I talked about a couple podcasts ago. Someone asked if Jenny Grubenikov was an overrated libero. And I kind of said, I mean, his defense is by far the best out of anyone in volleyball. And it's not even close. And his passing, there's other passers who are almost as good as him. But man, watching Grubenikov in this one, I mean, he still could be the best passer in the world in this one. 43% positive receptions, or sorry, 79% positive receptions, 43% perfect, which is just elite levels. He was taking tough serves from guys like Tonchik Stern and, and Batolo and Kuika Shoji, who, who can put a little pace on the ball and just easily, 
easily putting them up. So I, I, I really like Grabenikov's passing in this one. Moritz Karlitzek continues to impress me. I mean, four aces in this one. Guy has a really nice looking jump serve. He he jumps quite high on his jump serve, which I always find really fun to see. Also, 10 for 18 hitting. Didn't get blocked once, unlike Tonchek Stern. Only two errors. So, I mean, Moritz Karlitzek looking like a good choice to start over Daniele Lavia. I know that must be frustrating to some Italian volleyball fans. Looking at the guy who's like kind of projected to start at the 2021 Olympics for you on the outside position, uh, getting beat out pretty comfortably by a guy who was, you know, I was there in <laughs> watching him play in Euro volley, just basically is just a practice player cheering from the bench for Team Germany. So interesting kind of role reversal here. But Karlitzek is definitely, I mean, he's a rising star of the game. We've been saying it for a long time. And, uh, you know, to be honest, is he a better prospect than Daniele Lavia? Potentially. Potentially he is, yeah. In the last game of the Italian league, Piacenza versus Monza, bit of a slog, to be honest. The level of attacking kind of low, the level of defense high, which, you know, makes for some cool, exciting long rallies. But any game where both teams are hitting close to 40% hitting, is it, it, it's a little frustrating to watch sometimes. Middles playing pretty well in this one for Monza. Galassi, 5 for 8. Holt also 5 for 8, getting a couple blocks in there. Three blocks between the both of them, so good showing from the middles for Monza. Definitely outplaying the middles for Piacenza, which has been a weakness for them. For sure this season, their middles have been a weakness so far. Davide Calarondo playing well in this one with 7 kills, 3 blocks. But I mean, I, th I think Condolaro has slowed down a bit. I think they should bring in another middle, and, and it sounds like they are bringing in Musavi or LaRue. <laughs> I mean, who knows which of those two they're bringing in at this point, but it does sound like they are bringing in the middle. For Monza, Lagumzija and Lanza played decently. They, they got points when they needed to. They both got dug quite a bit. And, and I think Lagumzija, man, I, I'm i not sure, but he seems to have gained some weight since the last season when he was playing in Turkey. His vertical doesn't seem as high, doesn't seem as bouncy, doesn't seem as acrobatic as he was last year when he was twisting and turning in the air and hitting all these insane angles and, and reaching incredibly high for the ball I don't know <laughs> let me know if you guys have noticed that too but if you watch some video of him at this point last year and this year there does seem to be a bit of a difference Filippo Lanza I mean not the incredible Filippo Lanza we've seen the last few weeks but he played all right and Lanza I mean he's a frustrating player to watch because you can see him absolutely smash a lot of balls when it's a perfect set, when it's a three pass, when he gets the uh, ball in rhythm with one blocker. But he's one of those players, if he's getting a bad set or a bad pass or out of system set, he just, he, he can't do anything with it. He doesn't have, you know, a good tip game. He doesn't have a good roll shot game. He doesn't have a good off speed game. So, I mean, it can be frustrating when you're watching pro volleyball and these players get bad sets and they're not even trying to do anything with it. They're not trying to go around the block. They're not trying to wipe. They're not trying to tool. They're just giving nice, easy free balls. And, and I think that's definitely one of Lanza's biggest limitations. But Piacenza really threw this one away. Grosier was brutal in this one. Like one of the worst stat lines we've had all season. Four kill blocks and two aces all right. But look at this hitting. 10 for 31 with eight errors. So yeah, two for 31 hitting efficiency. Pretty brutal for Mr. Grosier. And, and like I've said before, I warned you guys before the season, this is what you get with Grosier in his 30s. It's going to be one or two fantastic games, 
where he just looks incredible. He looks unstoppable, super athletic. And then you get a game like this where he looks completely out of rhythm, looks like he's not connecting with the setter well at all and just throwing balls over the place, getting blocked. Unfortunately, like I said, like this is what you're going to with Grozier. This is why I don't have him maybe as high on my opposite tier list as a lot of other people do, just because of his inconsistency, and you see it in games like this. But anyway, I did some foreshadowing that Zenik is on in Belgorod. A big upset there. I mean, I don't really know <laughs> what the bigger upset was. I mean, Zenikazan was playing without Irvin Engapet, their best player, maybe the second best player in the world, injured with a back injury like I mentioned on my last podcast. And they actually beat Belgorod in their first game. And, and they're playing a back-to-back here because of COVID conditions. But on the second game, the young, mighty Pavel Tetsuyukin led Belgorod to hand Zenikazan their first loss. Tetsuyukin, 21 points on 9 for 21 hitting, 4 aces, which you love to see a young player like that that can rack up the aces, 2 blocks, very nice passing. I mean, Pavel Tetsuyukin, man, he's got to be like one of the top stories of the season so far. He is amazing, looking just like Papa Sergei out there, kind of similar playing styles, a little undersized, but they're just so smart, so incredibly talented and skilled. Now, I'm not saying... Pavel Tetsuyukin will pass his father, but if I were Thomas Samuel I would seriously strongly consider bringing Pavel Tetsuyukin to the Olympics next summer. And honestly, I would, could definitely see him overtaking Dmitry Volkov as a starting outside hitter beside Igor Kaluka, given the way that like both their kind of trajectories are going right now. He had fellow young outside hitter from Russia, Fedor Voronkov, a guy who you may have seen in the VNL in 2019. Doing all right as the replacement for Engapet. I mean, obviously, they still only lost, like, this game in the Russian league. Voronkov hitting 13 for 26 in this one. Passing quite well. Serving decently. I mean, he's a good player. Definitely not great with Tetsuyukin coming in and Kurbanov coming in right behind him. Yeah, I don't see Fedor Voronkov's time with the national team lasting too much longer. But Zenikazan will be just fine if Irvin Engapet is back. They're looking really good this year. Bartosz Bednor is looking incredible, continuing his success from Modena. If you listen to the Ace Space podcast that I did recently, you will know that I picked Zenikazan to win Champions League this year. I think they're looking great. I mean, they have a great track record. Many of the weaknesses they had last year with Mikhailov playing outside hitter, I think, are mitigated now. I think Irvin Engapet is a lot more comfortable when he doesn't have such a big role in the reception. Now they have a few guys that can pass between Bednorz, Engapet, and whoever's going to play Libero for them. We're still not exactly sure who's going to play the big crunch time matches. I think with the way Ilya Fedorov, the young, very young Russian Libero, is playing, he, he could be the starter throughout the rest of the season. But uh, yeah, Zenik is on my pick for winning Champions League next year. And by the way, if you didn't listen to that podcast, there's a few interesting discussions, including an interview with the great Maxim Mikhailov that Dave did. So definitely go check that out if you're a fan of this podcast, because, you know, not every day that you get to hear an exclusive interview with one of the best volleyball players in history on on the Mount Rushmore of volleyball, let's say. And in the Liga, some fun stuff happening. Stalniasa finally gets a win against uh, Zavierci. 
Suvaki and Gdansk both looking pretty good. Yeah, bad week for Zavirchi. Losing to Gdansk and losing to Stalniasa. So, yeah, tough week for them. Like I said in my in the last podcast, I mean, uh, I really don't see it with Zavirchi's roster. I, I don't see it as a playoff team roster in the Plusliga. And I was really surprised how well they're doing so far. I mean, I like Flavio. He's a great middle. I think he could potentially be the starting middle for Brazil in the Olympics. But when he's your best player, I don't know if that really cuts it, especially for a middle to be your best player in the Plus Liga. That's a tough one. And I mean, just looking at the table in the Plus Liga, it's kind of messed up. And given the state of COVID and that we don't have these set amount of games we're playing each week and everyone's kind of played similar amounts of games, what you have to do when you look at the table this year is look at the losses. Don't look at points. Don't look at wins because everyone's played different amount of games. Look at the losses. Like, for example, right now, Slovakia technically in third place in the Plus Liga with 20 points, 12 wins. Wow, that's really good. Congratulations, Slovakia. But if you look at the record, 7-5, and five, five losses. Compare that to Skrab Belchatov, who's in ninth place right now with only two losses. So really, in my opinion, Skrab Belchatov is like in a better position in the Plus Liga right now than Slovakia at 4-2, and two, then 7-5. and five. Hopefully it's not an issue to play the rest of the games. I'm not really sure what the plan is. If people end up with a different amount of games played, if they're going to use winning percentage, if they're going to use points still, it's unclear uh, as to what's going to happen. But I guess it doesn't really matter in the Plus League as much because it really looks like a one-team show right now with Zaxa beating everyone without breaking a sweat. And I think it'll remain that way until Taylor Sander comes back with Scraw, which hopefully happens soon, given that he's been training with the team. And finally, the performance of the week will go to Thibaut Rosard of Vibo Valencia for his great performance. We've already been over it against Padova. 15 for 29 hitting. No passing errors, four aces, only four errors, and 30 serves. 30 serves is a crazy stat, because look at the other serves on the team. Chininyaz, 11. Uh, Abuba, 10. David Seda, 13. Chester, 14. TJ DeFalco, 13. So absolutely insane that he served 30 times. That means he was going back to the service line time and time again, getting those super valuable break points that make all the difference in volleyball. So well-deserved performance of the week for Thibaut Rosard. And to end the podcast today, I'm going to go over my ranking of all the professional volleyball leagues in the world. Just a fun exercise I like to do to see if the balance of powers have shifted in the world of volleyball. So I'll start from the bottom tier of leagues and work my way up to the top league in professional volleyball. You can probably already guess what that is, but anyway. Start with the bottom leagues. I mean, probably missing a few here. But basically, this bottom tier usually has one team, maybe, that's that's playing at a decent level. Usually maybe three or four players that are either national team guys or close to it throughout the whole league. This is talking about like between all 12, 10 to 12 teams. So yeah, these are definitely not strong leagues in the scheme of things. I mean, still very talented players, but not compared to the top leagues. I did still cut a few teams from the, the big list, though, like... The UK League, I don't think even deserves to make this list. Filipino League, and sorry to say, but even my one volleyball league in Canada, I don't think deserves to be on this list. But anyway, bottom tier of leagues, probably Sweden, Denmark, Cyprus, Bulgaria, 
and Ukraine have usually have like one team that's all right that's decent that can it's probably like cv challenge cup to cv cup level team maybe a national team player here or there probably put the uh vla uh in the united states of america here as well i mean they're they're tough because it's not they don't have a you know as much of a system as much of a actually you know dedicated rounds and dedicated schedule and dedicated everything for their league but you know like, like i said they still have a few players cody kessel and you know Nicholas Shesheshin, if you if you count that, I guess that that makes their league a lot better. But but yeah, these leagues I would consider to kind of be like the lowest tier of leagues that are actually kind of legitimate. And in, in the next tier, I have three leagues that I consider just a, a slight step up above the group that I mentioned: Spain, Finland, and the Netherlands, who actually you know sometimes get decent foreign players that aren't from their own country. They sometimes have a team that's you know competitive in the challenge cup cv cup so that's what i often use as an indication of how good a league is if how your team's doing in a european club competitions because that's where the majority of the highest level volleyball between countries takes place and the next 13 clubs will actually rank in order so that was kind of getting the fluff out of the way now we're going to get to the serious leagues well, i'm not serious the bottom the bottom of these are still not that serious but at 13 we have greece which you know formerly was 12 years ago was, you know, at the top of this list. They used to have crazy volleyball leagues. Go back and watch some old, you know, National League or, or European club competition footage of of the Greek teams like Thessaloniki and teams like that. Absolutely insane fans. Paid tons of money. Treated their players very well. There's some funny stories, I know, from, from players who have played, who played there during that era. And, you know, they're still not good. They still have a couple of teams like Piraeus. Who, who are able to go out and get one, maybe two solid foreign players every year. Similar to the number 12 team on the list, Portugal, who again, two, two, usually one or two clubs, like Benefica, who are usually Challenge Cup powerhouses. They, they actually competed in Champions League last year. So yeah, we're starting to get to, you know, bottom of Champions League level leagues here. But yeah, like I said, can get, you know, usually two, one or two good foreign players at the top level clubs, the bottom of the leagues for, sorry, for both Greece and Portugal are horrible. So not too much to talk about there, but if you look at the top teams, there's, there's a couple uh, couple good players between them. In 11th place, I would say there's, there's a big step up here because I have China who like Portugal and Greece, you know, the bottom eight teams in the league are just not even worth talking about full of, you know, semi-pro domestic players usually. But China, the top couple teams are usually really good full of uh, Chinese national team players and some pretty strong foreigners we've seen uh, over the years in Shanghai and Beijing. Still not sure on whether, what capacity we're going to have a Chinese league season. It's still, there's still some pretty like high level names who are, who were supposed to play earlier this year, like Matt Anderson and Eros Kovacevic. So hopefully that season still happens. You know, the finals of the Chinese league are always actually pretty fun to watch, but just given how incredibly weak the bottom of the league is is why i have them a bit lower number 10 similar in korea maybe a little more even than china where like all the best players aren't stacked on the top two teams they have one foreigner per team which makes things a little close that the max the top teams can get is one foreigner and usually every team takes one they're not always the highest level guys and it's kind of actually really interesting how they do it and i had an opportunity in 2019 summer to actually go to the korean league draft and 
and sit down and watch the process of how the players were selected. Selected, in it took place at the University of Toronto in Toronto, obviously. And it was interesting because you know I don't always think they pick the best players in the room. I think there's other factors at play, like you know kind of the the aesthetic of the player. To be honest, I think matters a lot to the Korean league. Whether the type of player that can hit 50 to 60 to even 70 sets a game. Uh, one of the guys who's completely broken out this year is Numori Kita, an opposite from Mali, 19 years old. Kind of a fun story in the Korean league this season. Just had another 51 point game in Korea which you know you never see anywhere else you definitely don't see it in Europe these people are getting 40 and 50 point games but in Korea given they just rely on their foreign player so much who's almost always an opposite that it makes for some very entertaining stat lines number nine Belgium again usually a two two team league between uh, Masaic and Rosalare usually both those teams get some pretty solid foreigners and usually like three to four decent uh, national team foreigners like guys like Brett Walsh, Mitch Stahl, Angel Trinidad. So yeah, not definitely not the top, top level foreigners. And the leagues used to be a lot better. They used to be able to afford some actually really good players, but still pretty solid. And usually there's, unlike some of these other leagues at the bottom here, there's maybe two or three other teams who are, who are can compete decently. Not, not good, but maybe not a European Cup level, but decently. Next up, I have the Japanese V-League. Again, very similar to Korea, where they only... Allow one foreigner. I talked a lot about the Japanese V-League on one podcast, went over all their foreigners. And yeah, the level of domestic talent in Japan is pretty high. It's hard to compare with other leagues because the domestic talent is very talented, but they're also a lot smaller, shorter, less physical than some of their European counterparts. And But the, I, I put Japan above Korea, yeah, because A, the level of domestic talent, I believe, is higher. And also the names of the foreigners I think is a lot better guys like Bartosz Kurek, Michal Kubiak, Dmitry Mazursky, some uh, really good like top level national team players on these rosters. In seventh place I have the German league which I think is a little lower in my standings than they would be normally. The bottom part of the league really took a huge hit uh, during COVID. Lots of teams are really struggling financially so you saw so a lot of contracts canceled with some pretty decent players so the level of talent has definitely suffered However, the top few teams are really strong. I mean, Berlin, Friedrichshafen, perennial Champions League, strong teams. Usually one of them even makes the playoffs of the Champions League. And especially Berlin just, you know, does have a lot of money to spend, does get really top-level foreign players. I'm always a little surprised maybe that Berlin isn't even bigger considering, you know, they're from one of the major metropolitan areas on the planet. They have like some good financial backing. They have a really sophisticated arena, really sophisticated media team. They have all this stuff, but the, their roster never really competes with the uh, the top rosters of Poland, Italy, or Russia. But yeah, I also like Germany because it gives a home to a lot of like pretty talented Canadian and American players. If, if you guys are, most of you are listening are from Canada and America, so you probably follow the German league somewhat if you like following your players. And there's a lot of guys who are maybe talented enough for Italy, Poland, and Russia. But due to foreign player restrictions, it's probably not worth it to bring them in. So they find their home in Germany and a couple of the other leagues I'll talk about in a bit. And number six, I have Turkey. Again, maybe Germany would be higher than Turkey in other years, but I think Turkey is pretty strong this year. I mean, they have three teams in Fenerbahce, Ankara, and Izmir. Who, and all three of those teams have pretty strong foreigners like Fenerbahce, Graham Vigras, Nick Hogue, Salvador Hidalgo. Hawkbank Ankara with Brett Walsh, Fernando Hernandez, Alexander Berger. So yeah, like you can definitely see as we get higher on this list, the level of 
foreign talent definitely starts to increase, which is, in my opinion, one of the, the major factors in these league rankings. Unfortunately, Turkey is not at the heyday as it was maybe uh, six or seven years ago. Remember when Hawkbank Ankara basically bought the entire Champions League Trentino team and had like one of the best teams in volleyball. Maybe we'll see that again. I mean, clearly the women's Turkish clubs have a lot of money to throw around. But for now, they'll kind of compete in that middle area where they're, they'll have a couple teams in Champions League. They're competitive, but it's not like they're contending for a medal or a, in the Club World Championships or Champions League anytime soon. Number five, I have France, which is an interesting league. As I've said before pre- on previous podcasts, they're fun because they probably have one of the smallest differences between the B League and the A League. So it's it's almost like one giant league. But France doesn't have any foreign player limits. So like Germany, you see a lot of North American and Australian and other countries that don't have professional leagues. A lot of them go to France to play volleyball, which definitely like dramatically increases the level of competition. France, surprisingly, I mean, has a really strong level of domestic players, tons of really good French players, which, you know, it's not like they're a bad national team, but they're not in Italy or, or Russia or Poland. So the fact that they have so many good domestic players is a little surprising, but it makes for some fun volleyball to watch, especially this year. There's so many like South Americans in France as well. Tons, basically the entire Argentinian league. And a lot of the Cubans went to France. So France is probably the most competitive it's been in a really long time, maybe ever. Number four is Brazil, who I think I've, I've pretty much always had at number four, but I think they're a distant number four this year to the top three leagues. A lot of clubs struggling financially due to COVID. Cesi Rio de Janeiro, a club with many of the top players in Brazil, is completely defunct now, doesn't exist. A couple of other clubs had to cut budgets. And, you know, the top three teams are still really solid. Sada, Cruzeiro, Tabate, and Cesi Sao Paulo are all still really good. But a lot of players from the bottom of the league, like Brazil, like all the teams at the top of this list, has insane domestic talent. And a lot of those players going over to play in Europe this year. So the bottom of the league is definitely less competitive than it ever has been. So hopefully Brazil is able to bounce back. Although selfishly, I do like when top level Brazilian players come to play in Europe because it does make Champions League a lot more interesting. Number three, we have Poland. And that's right. Poland is behind Russia in my rankings. Probably a lot of you have Poland at number two, Russia at number three. But I think this year, Russia, there's just like too many good teams. There's six or seven teams with two like top level foreigners. And even though, yeah, Russia's foreigner limit is two and Poland is three, which makes a massive difference. I think that the level of Russians foreigners are really, really high. And they just have, you know, they have more teams that I'm impressed with than Poland. Poland really to me this year is just Zaxa and just Scrub Elstov is top level club teams in the, like the scheme of professional volleyball whereas the russian league is zenit kazan it has belgorod it has locomotive novosibirsk it has kemerovo zenit st petersburg fickle novo Irungoy. so like quite a few teams that i think could feasibly do very well in champions league or world club championships which by the way that'd be a fantastic tournament if they had it at like 24 teams i know it's not really feasible at all but man that, that would be really fun to watch so yeah, Russia 2, Poland 3. Both leagues have extremely high levels of domestic talent. Poland has the uh, less restrictive foreigner limit, which does help its competitiveness a lot. But they also have a couple key Polish players playing overseas. Kubiak, Maciej Muzaj, Bartosz Kurek, Bartosz Bednorz. So that hurts them as well. And number one, not really a surprise at all. Been number one for a long time. Italy, their top teams have an insane amount of money to spend. Lube, 
Perugia, Trentino might be the most stacked collection of volleyball talent on the planet. Probably all three of them would win the Olympics. And the thing that's great about Italy, especially compared to like any other league in the world, even their bottom teams. Like I was talking before, like Padova has Kuika Shoji, Tonchek Stern, Marco Patolo, Santiago Donani. Like that's the worst team in the Italian league. And those are like, there's some good players on there. There's some great players on that team. Like how would Padova finish in some of the earlier leagues I mentioned? Like would Padova win the Korean league? Probably, almost definitely. So yeah, there's no team that matches the top to bottom depth that Italy does. A lot of players want to play in Italy. Italian is the language of volleyball. Definitely COVID has impacted Italy in terms of the uh, contracts they're giving out and the level of players they're signing. But still, just the draw of Italy. Everyone wants to play there. It's the most competitive league in the world. Every single game is going to be a really tough battle. The level of serving athleticism is super high. So I think that's why so many players like playing in Italy. And for me, I mean, that's the league I cover the most. It's the most fun to watch. If you're going to watch one league of professional volleyball, it's for sure going to be Italy. You know, hopefully one day we can say that about a league in, in North America and American Canada. But for now, the center of the world for professional volleyball, as you can tell by this list, is for sure in Europe. So I'd like to hear, do you guys agree with my rankings? Is there a league that I missed? Uh, should I have put the NVA or the VLA or the One Volleyball League higher? Where do you think NCAA or U Sports, if they were to be a league, where do you think they would rank on this list? Interested in hearing your thoughts. Remember to give the Instagram a follow and the YouTube channel a subscribe if you haven't already. I'm also releasing a series of preview articles on the CEV website, going a little bit more in depth into Champions League, covering the women right now, but the men's articles will be coming soon. So if you like more written content, kind of going in depth into each team participating in Champions League, check out CEV.eu. And I will talk to you guys a little bit more about volleyball next week.